Hello and welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president at Gateway Seminary, and I'm welcoming you today to a continued discussion we're having about significant ministry leadership issues. The one I'd like to talk about today may be perplexing and challenging for people who are not in ministry leadership to fully understand. I'd like to talk with you about dealing with loneliness in ministry leadership. Now, loneliness is a perplexing problem for Christian leaders. We work in Christian communities, we emphasize relationships, and we certainly value Christian fellowship. Almost every ministry leader has either said or heard said that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. Uh, That cliche is old and tired, but really is true. Uh, And so because of that, it's, it's hard to understand how we could find ourselves lonely. It's also uh, kind of humorous that the very first building a church typically builds after its worship center is its fellowship hall. That's how important fellowship and community is to most churches. And yet, again, Christian leaders, even in those contexts, find themselves feeling lonely. Now, when I wrote my book, The Painful Side of Leadership, it has a chapter in it on how to deal with loneliness. And I sent the manuscript out to a number of prominent Christian leaders and asked them to read the book and give me reflections on it before I finalized it for publication. One prominent leader of a very large church wrote me back and said, your chapter on loneliness should be chapter one. It's the most difficult issue I've grappled with over a lifetime of ministry leadership. Now, that kind of personal uh, transparency really reveals what a lot of other people are also feeling. And if someone like this particular person, uh, in the limelight with lots of friends, lots of acquaintances, and certainly lots of supporters, if that person can feel lonely, then certainly any one of us who finds ourselves in ministry leadership can also experience this same kind of loneliness. It's also been interesting that over the years, when I've spoken in various leadership conferences and I've had the opportunity to allow people to choose their topic, I'll often send a list of potential topics that uh, I could cover. And quite honestly, every time I've done that, loneliness in ministry has either come back as number one or number two on the survey sheets. And so every time I've asked people to build their own seminar, if you will, by choosing the subjects they want addressed, this issue has always been at the top. So, uh, for all those reasons, I think it's important to understand that how to deal with loneliness in ministry leadership. Let me begin by saying that loneliness is really an occupational hazard of Christian leadership. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is that loneliness simply comes with the job. It's part of the territory. It's not something that happens to bad leaders or something that only happens to you when something's wrong in leadership. No, instead, Loneliness and Christian leadership go hand in hand. Uh, They're part and parcel of one another. You you can't be a Christian leader without, at times, feeling lonely in that task. So why do I say that? Well, for several reasons. First of all, leaders are often isolated by information. Uh, I mean this from two different sources. We're isolated by personal information that we gain and by professional information or information that comes to us in our professional or ministerial leadership responsibilities. So personal and professional information that comes to us often motivates us to make decisions or to take stands or to otherwise take action that results in us feeling very alone. Let me give you a couple of examples. In my early pastoral ministry, 
there was a man in our church who uh, was apparently a successful businessman. He had the outer expressions of success, a beautiful home, nice car. Uh, he uh, was uh, actively involved in our church, not to a point that you would call him a committed member or a committed Christian, but certainly actively involved with us. And every year when the process of choosing the committees for the church was uh, conducted, there was always some interest in adding this man to our church financial team or our church finance committee. Uh, and I understood the motivation. The people responsible for creating the committees felt that if this man were more involved in our church or were asked to be more involved, it might uh, spur him on to a greater level of commitment and even a greater level of financial participation. And each year I found myself having to say no to the committee's uh, uh, insistence and take a stand, if you will, on keeping this man out of leadership related to the finances of our church. Why would I do that? Well, I knew something that only he and his wife and I knew, and that is he was a moderately successful businessman, but actually a very accomplished professional gambler. Uh, he made a significant amount of money, particularly betting on sports events, and because of that, he was able to live a lifestyle that was far better than he would have been able to have had he depended only on his business income. He had been a professional gambler for a number of years and had made a very, very lucrative career out of both gambling and advising others on gambling. Now, I knew that. I could not share that information publicly because it had come to me in the privacy of the counseling room, but yet it made me uneasy with putting him anywhere close to the church finances, and so I had to continually insist that he be excluded from leadership in that area. And quite frankly, I was criticized for that. Uh, people didn't understand my decision, and it was lonely sometimes making those kind of calls. Another situation was even more troubling. A young couple came to me for premarital counseling. Uh, the girl was a member of our church. The young man was not, but was a professing Christian and wanted to become a part of us, as part of our church, as part of the premarital counseling sessions. During the premarital work, I discovered that uh, there was domestic violence in the relationship. He was already physically abusing his fiancée. When I discovered this, I separated the couple and counseled with them each individually. Uh, he was uh, repentant, as you might expect, when confronted with this difficulty but, uh, and willing to make change. But she, on the other hand, was defensive and protective of her uh, fiancé and his behaviors. As many of you know who may have been involved in similar situations, this is a fairly typical response. So I met with them a couple of times individually and then brought them back together and told them that until there was significant change in their relationship, I would not be able to officiate their ceremony. In fact, I counseled them not to get married for at least another year and to allow this man a full, a full year to establish an entirely different kind of relationship with his fiancée, and then perhaps uh, she might be able to go forward with the wedding. Well, uh, they rejected that counsel outright, and then she told her parents about the situation, and her report to her parents was, Pastor Jeff doesn't like my fiancée and won't do the wedding. Well, that really wasn't true. But again, I was prohibited from really revealing all that I knew about the situation because of how I had come to the information. And while I encouraged both of them to be honest with each other and honest with their parents and to seek help in that context, uh, she was unwilling to do that. And so I endured a firestorm of criticism and opposition 
uh, because of my unwillingness to participate in this wedding. And it was, let me tell you, lonely when that was all going on. So this is what I mean when I say that leaders are often isolated by information. We know things that other people simply don't know and really can't know. We make decisions based on that information, and because of that, we find ourselves in very lonely situations. A second reason why Christian leaders are often lonely is that we're isolated by obedience. We frequently find ourselves making decisions or taking stands uh, that thrust us forward and oftentimes uh, in public ways that can feel very lonely. For example, when a Christian leader takes a, stand, a moral stand on an issue like same-sex marriage, uh, it can be a very lonely position, particularly in a culture that's continually in, uh, in increasing its affirmation of this position. When you take a doctrinal position, like a position on the exclusivity of the gospel and on receiving Jesus Christ and him alone as your means of salvation, that can also be a very lonely situation, particularly in a culture that uh, embraces uh, many religions and all paths leading to the same conclusion type theology. Uh, another kind of uh, isolation by obedience is leading in spiritual commitments. When a church leader, for example, decides to um, create a building program uh, or start a building program, the first thing they do is create a building fund, and frankly, the leaders have to start giving to that long before anyone else is asked to do so. Uh, when you want to lead your church or ministry organization into a renewal of fasting and praying, before you can do that, you have to first yourself be involved in fasting and praying. Uh, many times over the years, I've found myself having to be a forerunner on giving, fasting, praying, witnessing, Bible reading, other emphases that I was trying to bring to the organization where I was leading. And in every case, I found myself having to be the first person who made those commitments and finding the loneliness, the isolation that comes with that was simply part of the job. Well, here's a third reason why loneliness is an occupational hazard of Christian leadership and in fact comes with the territory. It's because leaders are often isolated by job demands. Uh, Christian leaders, for example, spend a significant amount of time alone. We spend time alone in prayer, in Bible study, in sermon preparation. We spend time alone in reflection, meditation, strategic planning, and developing insights and ideas about where we want to take our organizations in the future. This means that it's not uncommon for a Christian leader to spend about half their work week in isolation. Uh, in a study or an office or perhaps at a distant location, uh, alone, grappling only with God and his word and through prayer and meditation on the plans and procedures and messages and Bible studies that need to be delivered. It takes a long time to develop this kind of material in a quality fashion, and that, lonely, and that isolation can, be, can lead to loneliness. There's also loneliness that results from our work settings. Um, many Christian leaders have private offices or studies where they're expected to spend a significant part of their time and do spend a lot of their time. Uh, just the fact that you have to go through two or three different assistants, for example, to get to a, a Christian leader's office like mine indicates how important the uh, uh, privacy is to effective work being done and how much the organization values their leader having private time and quiet time 
and personal time uh, to do the preparation needed for such public ministry. And then for some of us, uh, there's also traveling alone, which is a part of ministry leadership. Uh, time spent on the road, moving from event to event, from organization to organization. Uh, traveling alone to attend meetings or speaking engagements creates another significant amount of time uh, that can lead to loneliness. So these are some of the reasons that there's at least one more. If you're not already depressed, stay with me. <laughs> there's a, at least a fourth reason why leadership, or excuse me, loneliness is a, uh, a partner with Christian leadership, and that is that leaders are often isolated by the spiritual depletion of job demands or job performance. When I sent out the manuscript of uh, this book uh, that I'm speaking from in this chapter today, The Painful Side of Leadership, I got this quote back from a prominent pastor. He said, there isn't a night I lay my head on the pillow without thinking about how to reach someone who needs the Lord how to help a troubled marriage, how to better lead my team, or how to disciple someone in my church. Just the burden of being responsible for the spiritual lives of people is a cause of loneliness. That kind of spiritual pressure, spiritual responsibility, that sense of burden that all of us have as Christian leaders can feel lonely and isolating. It reminds me of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 7 and 19. In 1 Ch- Kings chapter 17, he was um, a conquering prophet who called down fire from God. But in chapter 19, he's hiding from a wicked queen who's trying to take his life. What happened to Elijah? Well, spiritual depletion from job performance. That's what happened. He was in the arena doing spiritual battle, seeing God work in powerful ways, and that left him drained both physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And then he found himself vulnerable to feeling like, he, like only one evil queen could attack him and take his life. The spiritual and emotional depletion from job performance is real, and it leaves us feeling lonely, isolated, and vulnerable. Well, these are the reasons that I've been able to identify why Christian leaders often feel lonely. We're isolated by information, we're isolated by obedience, we're isolated by job demands, and we're isolated by the emotional and spiritual depletion from our job performance. All of these are part and parcel of the work we do. You can't restructure your life to avoid these things. Uh, you, can't, uh, you can't keep them from happening to you. They aren't a sign that you're a bad leader or an inexperienced leader or that anything's wrong with you spiritually. They are simply an evidence that you're involved in Christian leadership and that you're going to have to learn to deal with one of the perplexing dilemmas that comes along with the job. So, Let me switch gears now and offer you some strategies for handling loneliness. First of all, have realistic expectations about this issue. As I've said repeatedly throughout the podcast, you will be lonely. It comes with the territory. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you spiritually or there's anything you should be doing differently in your life or ministry. You will be lonely. It's part of the job. But you can get through it. Loneliness is always temporary. It's an old story, but it's kind of a funny one. It reminds me of the woman who was asked to give a testimony in church, and she stood up and said, uh, my favorite verse is the verse that says, and it came to pass, and then she sat down. The pastor was a little puzzled, so he said, "Why, why would that be your favorite verse? And she stood back up and said, because it came to pass. Thank God it didn't come to stay. And I would say that's really the case with loneliness. Uh, It comes, but it comes to pass. It doesn't come to stay. These illustrations I've given you today 
about experiences I've had in the past. Uh, they did create significant loneliness for me, but, but over time, uh, that feeling wanes and the, the, the issues are resolved and the, the, the emotional uh, sense of loneliness d- diminishes. And so it does, come to, it does come to pass, but it doesn't come to stay. Uh, so have realistic expectations about loneliness. And then second, cultivate your awareness of God's presence to sustain you through lonely times. It's important to take an honest look at biblical leaders. Men like J- Jesus and Paul and David all experienced profound times of loneliness, isolation, and difficulty. And some of their most poignant statements or poignant writings are really uh, things that emerged out of those lonely times. Some of Paul's writings to the Corinthian church, for example, uh, his, uh, David's psalms, Jesus' lament in the garden, all of these statements emerged out of a time of profound loneliness in the lives of each of these men. And so cultivate your awareness of God's presence because it is during lonely times that you will experience God in perhaps ways that are more significant than you might have otherwise. Increase your awareness of God's presence through simple things like consistent devotional practices, uh, working more on Bible reading and prayer and scripture memory and meditation. Increase your awareness of God's presence by participating in worship services where you're not the leader. Uh, Making time to attend a chapel at a seminary or a worship service on another day of the week that you're not leading at your church or ministry location. And find yourself in that context focusing on what God might say to you rather than what he might say through you to other people. Cultivate your awareness of God's presence by these practices. And also do this by learning to uh, talk with God and experience God just as you would another person. One of the most interesting people I've ever met in my life was an older man named Otho. When I first met him, I thought maybe he wasn't quite right mentally. He, He talked out loud to God. Now, I found this disconcerting the first time it happened, the first few times it happened. But then as I got to know him better, I realized that there really wasn't anything wrong with him at all. He had just reached a point in his spiritual life where he talked to God like a friend. He lived alone. His wife of many years had passed away. His health was still strong enough that he was able to continue to live alone. Uh, And so in that context, he just talked to God out loud as if he were talking to a friend. The first time he did it in my presence, as I said, a little surprising. But then I learned how sweet his relationship was with the Lord. And now I find myself doing the same thing. While I'm in the car or otherwise alone, I'll sometimes talk out loud to God as if he's a friend because he is my friend. And I want to have that kind of intimate relationship with him. So have realistic expectations and then practice spiritual disciplines and other spiritual practices that cultivate your awareness of God's presence. And notice I chose that word cultivate carefully. God is already present with you. You don't have to do anything to get him to be present in your time of loneliness. Instead, you have to cultivate and express that during that time. Well, here's a third strategy for handling loneliness, and that's cultivate friendships to sustain you through low times. When you take an honest look at biblical leaders, you'll find that in most cases, they worked best when they worked with partners or with teams. Jesus frequently was surrounded by his three closest disciples and then on other occasions surrounded by the 12 who worked with him. Now, Jesus also worked alone and had times alone, and we see that. But most of the time, Jesus found himself in the company of other people. Paul was the same. He always was described in the New Testament as having a team or a partner around him, except once, and that's in Athens, which was his really least effective ministry setting. 
but in almost every other case, or in every other case you find in the New Testament, Paul writing in the context of having a partner or a team around him. And then David, same thing, had his mighty men, those protector soldiers that worked most closely to him, his senior advisors, if you will, who also uh, worked with him in leading the, the people, leading the nation. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is that biblical leaders were not all Lone Ranger Christians that did their thing by themselves and, and stood always uh, apart from everyone else. While they did that occasionally, most of the time they had partners and teams that were surrounding them. So I would say the same thing is true, needs to be true of us today. We work best when we work with partners and teams. Now, what kind of friends do you need around you to help sustain you through lonely times? Well, let me give you three suggestions. First, cultivate friendships with ministry peers. This means if, if you're a pastor, make friends with other pastors. If you're a youth pastor, other youth pastors. Uh, if you're a college uh, dean, other college deans. If you're a seminary student, other seminary students. You make friends with ministry peers. These are people who share the work you're doing and understand the challenges you're facing. These are people that you can debrief with over coffee or over a meal and that you can have a mutuality of sharing about what you're going through. They'll understand it because they're probably going through something similar or have gone through something similar quite recently. So cultivate relationships with ministry peers. Second, uh, cultivate relationships with what I call everyday people. These are friendships with people who are not your ministry peers that are built around shared interests or experiences. Frankly, I've developed several of these over my lifetime, and some of these relationships, I'm happy to say, have lasted for more than 30 years. Friends that I've uh, developed relationships with early on in life and maintained relationships with throughout life, and these are people that you can simply call on when you're feeling lonely or having a discouraging time or, or going through something that makes you feel isolated. Uh, these are friends, people that you can just turn to. Um, I have some of these, and they're not ministry peers. They're not even p men that are in ministry. They're men I've cultivated relationships with over years who understand ministry. They're active and committed Christians, but really relate to me more on a friend-to-friend -friend basis around other uh, shared interests like our uh, families or like our mission experiences that we've shared together or like our sports teams that we like to follow, things like that to build relationships around with everyday people. And then a third kind of friend you need to help you get through lonely times are what I call trusted confidants. You might also call these uh, mentors, people that you can go to that are more experienced than you, wiser than you, and can give you counsel about having, how to get through a lonely time. Now these can be ministry leaders or they can be everyday people, lay people if you will, that you look up to and trust and respect. And I'm fortunate in that I've had both kinds of people, uh, both people from both categories uh, in my life over the years. I've had trusted confidants who were ministry leaders who were more experienced than I was, who I could turn to for help and guidance and support. And these were not really ministry peers. These were people that had been at it 30 years longer than me, who could reflect on what I was going through and give me counsel and experience from their perspective. And I would say the same thing about some key men that I've known over the years that were also not really ministry leaders, but men that I've met through church or through other opportunities of ministry that were able to give me counsel about life, parenting, finances, other issues that helped me to understand how to move forward in my life, particularly through, through difficult or challenging times. So you might ask, what is it that keeps ministry leaders from being able to develop this kind of relationship? Because quite frankly, ministry leaders oftentimes don't have these kind of friendships. Well, 
The first thing that holds us back is our pride. Uh, we want other people to think we have life all together and don't need anyone to help us, but that's simply not true. Another problem is a lack of transparency. We have the illusion of adequacy. Uh, we delude ourselves into thinking we can make it on our own. That's really not the case. Uh, and frankly, another thing that holds us back sometimes is competition. Uh, we don't want other ministers to know of our struggles because we in some way feel like we're competing with them to try to either get ahead personally or get more followers than they have or grow a church larger than theirs. And so pride or lack of transparency or competition, these kinds of, uh, of motivations or these kinds of limitations really inhibit us from developing the kind of friendships we need. Uh, to make it through difficult times or lonely times in ministry. So I would counsel you today to give up these things. Get over your pride, your, your lack of transparency, uh, move past any sense of competition, and recognize that your life will be far more rich if you have uh, ministry peers, everyday people, trusted confidants that you can turn to to help you make it through lonely times. Now, another question that I get asked a lot at this point is, well, when it comes to your friendship team or the people you surround yourself that help you through lonely times, what about your spouse? Well, my answer may surprise you. Um, I think your spouse is a vital person uh, to help you through this kind of time, but you should not put all your emotional, the, the emotional weight of, this, uh, of your personal struggles on one person, even your spouse. My wife, Ann, has been my ministry partner for more than 35 years. I don't know how I'd make it without her. Uh, she's awesome. But I don't depend on her to help me through every lonely time or every difficult circumstance. That's why I've developed relationships with other people that I can go to to help share some of the burden. Now, certainly, Ann has been there for me on many occasions, and any time I turn to her, she's, com she's comforting and helpful. But uh, she's not the only person that I can turn to or that I can depend on. So I would advise you to use and to, to develop the relationship you have with your spouse uh, intimately and closely, but not to let that be the only one you depend on to help you through lonely times. Well, there's a whole other aspect of this subject I want to talk about as well today. And that is that since loneliness is an inevitable part of leadership, is there any good that can come from it? And the answer, of course, is yes. There are really two ways that you can embrace loneliness and make it something that's profitable for you in Christian ministry or leadership. The first one is that you can actually choose solitude and choose to value the time you have alone and use it most effectively. Remember, uh, loneliness is an emotional state, but solitude is a choice you make to be alone for a special purpose. Now, I've already given some examples in this podcast. You choose to be alone to study. You choose to be alone to develop Bible study material. You choose to be alone to pray. You choose to be alone to develop strategic plans for your ministry organization. And this can be done on a daily basis, uh, on a weekly basis. It can also be done periodically in a retreat fashion as you go away for multiple days to be alone and accomplish these purposes I've described. And so rather than dreading solitude because it leads to feelings of loneliness, embrace it, make a plan to use it wisely, be intentional about how you structure what you'll do in those uh, minutes or hours or days when you are alone, and use that time to be profitable in the ministry that you're trying to lead. And then the second way that you can embrace solitude is to learn, uh, is to, excuse me, embrace loneliness is to learn from these lonely times lessons that can only be taught in the crucible of loneliness. 
You know, one of the most difficult days of my life was in 1994 when I was diagnosed with cancer. I went through uh, several weeks of uncertainty about whether or not I actually had cancer, and, and then when, the, when it was determined I had to have surgery to make that final determination, I had the surgery, but because of the nature of the cancer they thought I might have and my age, there was really a low probability that, it was, uh, that the tumor was going to be cancerous, but then of course it was. And so after five more days of waiting after the first surgery, I was called and my doctor told me I had to have a second surgery, I had to have it that night. Um, that I had cancer and that all the aspects of cancer that he had warned me about and counseled me about and told me that might pl- come into play, all of them were now uh, were, all, were all there. That second surgery was a, was a really difficult day. And because I had the surgery late in the evening, um, it went into the night. And then I had the entire night of really struggling with trying to recover from the second surgery. Now, I won't go into all the details of that, but suffice it to say, it was a very very difficult night. And one of the things I remember was I kept uh, trying to trying to sleep, and I just couldn't get comfortable, and I couldn't get relaxed. I couldn't fall asleep. And finally, when I did, um, I would wake up, and I would think, oh, good, I've slept. And I would turn and look at the clock, and two minutes would have passed. And so that night went like that in two and three and five-minute segments as I was just trying to make it through. Now, that night also, Something happened to me that really was a, a first for me, and that is, for the first time in my life, I was really, totally alone. Um, I, I couldn't speak because of the surgeries. Uh, my body wasn't functioning correctly. Uh, no one could really help me more than Anne, and she was there with me, of course, that night, but not much she could really do in terms of alleviating my physical struggles. And so I, I, I remember over and over and over that night simply trying to pray, and, and, I, and I couldn't really even string words together very well, but I, I, I remembered one verse, and I kept praying it over and over, and it was this, weeping comes in the night, but joy comes in the morning. And I would pray, God, get me to the morning. Weeping comes in the night, joy comes in the morning. God, get me to the morning. And I must have prayed that over and over and over dozens of times through the night. Well, finally, I did finally sleep, and then I woke up the next morning. And when I woke up, uh, my body was recovering. Uh, things were calming down emotionally for me. But spiritually, I realized something profound had happened that night before. And uh, that next morning, I remember praying something like this. I said, Father, last night, uh, it was just me and you. Uh, my church couldn't help me. Even though Anne was here with me and would have done anything, there wasn't really much she could do. My education didn't do really anything for me. The position I have in ministry was irrelevant. Lord, last night it was just you and me, and I found out that that's enough. That when it comes down to it, you can sustain me through anything. That was a profound night for me when I embraced my loneliness and discovered in that experience a depth of spiritual transformation that really could never have happened any other way. Now, it's been interesting over the years as I've told that story. 
I've had after the services or the sessions or classrooms where I've shared that story, I've had people immediately come forward to me and say, it happened for me when I had a heart attack. It happened for me when my, wa- when my wife left me. It happened for me when my child died. It happened for me when my partner stole my business from me. It happened for me when I got laid off from a job that I really needed. People come forward and tell me about a particular life crisis that left them feeling completely alone and undone finding that they only had God to hold on to, and he was enough. So I would say to you that while I would not wish upon you any evil circumstance like that, that if God allows something like that to happen to you, embrace it and recognize that in those moments, God can do something transformational in you. Well, last thing, are there some special circumstances that requires special attention when it comes to loneliness. I'll just mention three. First, when loneliness ter- turns into depression, you need medical help. All the things I've said today really don't make that much difference if you're physically experiencing a problem that keeps your body from responding. So don't be afraid to go to your physician if you're experiencing a period of loneliness that is turning into depression or people around you are warning you about depression. Don't be, alar- don't be afraid to go to your physician and get the physical help that you may need. And then second, uh, if your ministry setting is particularly isolating. If you find yourself, for example, serving in a remote location or in a place where there's not a lot of Christian support or in a place that's, uh, uh, where you're only able to perhaps, perhaps uh, connect with other peers or other ministry folks or other people in your, uh, in your organization rarely, uh, if you're a missionary or a church planner or someone in a remote location, you need to come out of that location periodically, maybe once a month or once a quarter, and connect with some other people. So take extra precaution if you find yourself in an isolating location. And then third, what about if your ministry setting is particularly toxic? What I mean by this is, <clears throat> if you find yourself in a situation where there's a particularly troubled, difficult uh, ministry context that you're having to work in, you may have to pull out of that more often than, than you might from a normal setting to reconnect with people and to establish yourself emotionally again and prepare for the battle. Um, I think about some difficult situations where, uh, for example, there's been great conflict in a ministry setting or there's been a, a, a death or there's been even a crime committed like a murder or something like that in a ministry setting or there's been a financial crisis that has really wrecked a ministry. I'm talking about when there's really something seriously wrong going on that's going to take months and months and months to fix. You may need to pull out of that from time to time and recharge by reconnecting with people outside your setting in order to be able to continue to bear up under that difficulty and pressure. Well, I hope this has been helpful to you today. We've talked about dealing with loneliness in ministry. It's an occupational hazard. It comes with the territory. There's some clear reasons why that's true, but there's also some strategies we can use to confront it, deal with it, handle it, and there's also some ways we can embrace it for our benefit and for our good. And then keep these special circumstances in mind I've covered at the end, because if you find yourself in those situations, you really do need to seek particular help to resolve the difficulty. So thanks for being part of the podcast. Uh, You can find more information about this podcast in my book, the painful side of leadership, and I hope it will help you with this problem and some others you may face along the way. Thanks.